Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 to chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars close upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Morning, church. I hope you're all doing okay. Uh, it's good to see a full sanctuary. I have a lot of newcomers, <laughs> newcomer cards here, as you can see. Uh, we're going to hold our applause to the very end, okay? Uh, I just met Sang and Jenny, a uh, married couple sitting Right, yeah, I think behind Tim and Connie over there. Just raise your hand for us so we can recognize you at least. Uh, again, hold your applause for now. You got Hannah Choi and Hyungjun Nam also joining us. Hannah and Hyungjun, where are you sitting? In the back over there. Okay. Uh, I got Tina Chow. Tina, where you are? Where, uh, Tina's over on this side. All right, next to Margaret. Jennifer Yang, I think it is. Jennifer Yang. Jennifer, where are you at? On this side. Okay, here we go. Keep on going here. I think Isaiah. Uh, can't read your last name. I think it's Zhang. Uh, Isaiah, where are you? Isaiah's over there. Okay, I think they're Hannah and uh, Heather's friends. Sun Ho Cho, also over here. Sun Ho Cho. Uh, and Chung Myung, is it? Chung Myung Choi? Chung Myung Choi? Chung Myung's over there. All right, I'm done. All right, let's <laughs> Warm welcome. All right, great. Awesome. Our welcoming team's going to be busy this week. Uh, we're continuing our, our series in Jonah, uh, and you know, Jonah is one of the stories in the Bible that's really loved by children because it captures their imagination very well, right? For instance, when they hear about uh, Jonah being swallowed up by this great fish, their imagination tends to run wild, and they ask questions like, you know, what kind of fish could it have been? You know, was it a great white shark? No, could it, could it have been, was it a whale? If so, what kind of whale was it, Dad, you know? Uh, and kids love to ask these kind of questions. Uh, maybe some of you do as well. So before we get into the message, I wanted to remind all of you uh, what this book is mainly about. Because it's not mainly about a giant fish, although that detail is very interesting. It's not even mainly about Jonah, right? Rather, it's mainly about God's great love and mercy displayed for sinners such as Jonah, right? such as the ruthless Ninevites, as well as the pagan sailors we talked about briefly last Sunday. 
And so my hope is that as we continue in the study of this book together, that you would fall in love with this story of Jonah once again, not, not because it's a fun read, although it is, but because when you read about Jonah, you're able to see yourself in this story as one who once ran away from God in your own rebellion, but who was relentlessly pursued by God because of his great love and mercy for you. And so may that story minister to you in that way. Uh, I broke down the passage, or the uh, message rather, in three parts. I'm going to talk about the fish a little bit because it's <laughs> you can't avoid it. It's right there, the fish, part one. Uh, part two, the temple. Uh, Jonah remembers the temple. We're going to uh, see why he remembered the temple, what significance that had. And uh, part three, I'll briefly call us to find peace in knowing that we do believe, brothers and sisters, in a sovereign God who is in control of all things. And so there really is no need for us to fret, ultimately. And so part three will be the sovereignty of God. Okay, the fish, the temple, and the sovereignty of God. And so let's, uh, let's get into this. Okay, part one, the fish. Our passage begins with, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. If you interpret this story from a more contemporary lens, you know, God's method of using a great storm and the giant fish to essentially discipline Jonah can be seen as rather cruel and inhumane because Jonah, in this process, he does experience tremendous torment and pain, does he not? But this is what God is doing. God is giving Jonah a taste of what he actually wanted. In a sense, he asked for this, right? What did he want? Right? He wanted to be far, far, far away from God. God told him to go this way. He went the opposite direction, right? I mean, he wanted to be separated from God because he was angry at God. He was upset that God would even consider saving these ruthless Ninevites who were considered to be these enemies of God, enemies of the Jews during that time. I'm sure most of you could relate to that impulse, right, to be far away from God. And maybe, maybe there's something about your life that you've grown to deeply resent. And so you're at a place where you now deeply resent God himself. And I've been guilty of that many times throughout my you know, 51 years of life. <laughs> and, you know, one way that resentment tends to manifest in me is I just don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray because when, I'm, when I pray, right, I'm actually, you know, drawing near to God, wanting to commune with him, right? When I open my Bible, what am I doing? I'm wanting to draw near to God and hear from his word. No, but when I'm angry, when I'm deeply upset, I don't want to have anything to do with these things. And th that's why the story of Jonah is so relatable to us, right? In his resentment, he wanted to flee from the presence of God. But the thing is this, you can't truly flee from God unless he 
intentionally removes his own presence from you. He's that big of a God. And so this story, if you think about it, is really about God allowing Jonah, right? God is permitting Jonah. God is allowing this man, this silly man, in a sense, to experience alienation, to experience what Jonah calls Sheol, so that Jonah could experience later on a desperate need. Jonah could realize, once again, his need for spiritual revival. If you're not familiar with the word Sheol, you can think of it simply as a realm of the dead. Okay, I mean, we can take a lot of time to unpack even that, but we're not going to do that today. Okay, it's a realm of the dead. It's, it's a hellish grave, essentially. That, that's a picture you should have in your mind. And Jonah was describing his reality in the depth of the sea and the belly of the fish as Sheol. And some scholars actually believe that it's probable that Jonah actually died in this story and came back to life again. How do you see it? How do you read this? If you choose to believe in that interpretation, I, I personally would not have a problem with it, right? But the plain reading of this text seems to suggest that Jonah actually did not literally die, but that God had somehow, I don't know how, I mean, God is a miraculous God. He, he miraculously preserved Jonah's life even as Jonah was in this belly of the fish. But you know, we can at least say that he was as good as dead, right? He was as good as dead, literally trapped in the belly of this fish that was swimming around in the depths of the sea. <laughs> so this is not humanly possible for anyone to survive. Right? It's crazy if you think about it. And so if Jonah was actually kept alive, and if he was spared from being digested from the stomach acid of this fish, it was God. It was ultimately God in the end who somehow kept him alive. It was a miracle. But he could have very well died, as some people believe, and, and he could have come back to life. And the point of the story would remain the same, that, that God allowed Jonah to taste death so that Jonah could be revived. Resurrected. You probably have heard this saying before. In order for God to build you up, he must first break you down. This was true for Jonah. And I've heard enough of your stories to know that this has also been true for many of you. That God built you up, but first he broke you down. Right, there was some version of a storm and a fish in your story that God used that led you to experience a spiritual breakthrough of some kind. And in Jonah's case, the evidence of a spiritual breakthrough can be found in the fact that we finally see him praying to God once again. And he chose to finally head toward Nineveh <laughs> He was a guy that went the opposite. Now he's actually, we see him now heading toward Nineveh by the end of this chapter. First notice how Jonah offers a prayer of thanksgiving. Okay, he prays to God in the depth of Sheol. And he ends his prayer with salvation belongs to the Lord. That's his main 
conclusion or takeaway after experiencing this storm and the fish. Like, ah, okay, I realize that salvation truly does belong to the Lord. And some of you may be thinking, isn't this, like, shouldn't this have been common knowledge? And didn't Jonah know this already? And my answer is, of course. Of course he knew this. He was God's prophet after all. I mean, of course he knew this. But I want you to hear this very clearly. This is very important, right? There are, brothers and sisters, different levels of knowing, different, different levels of knowledge that we experience as we journey through this life. For example, whenever I, I ask people what they learned, you know, from a conference or retreat that they attended, more often than not, they won't say anything that's like revolutionary. They, they won't share anything that's new, but they'll share something that they already knew but was reminded in a fresh way. Okay? Even when I was listening to the recent podcast by Stephen and Kathy sharing their experience at CrossCon, I felt the same thing. I mean, I was really encouraged by what they took away from it, but it wasn't anything revolutionary, something that you know, they, they probably knew in this form, but now they know it's sort of in a, in a greater form. Right? They, it, it moved them in a different way, in a fresh way. So, of course, Jonah knew that salvation belonged to the Lord. I bet nearly all of you would have no problem affirming that statement, right, if I asked you. But see, again, we know things in varying levels and degrees, especially when it comes to understanding the multi-layers of the grace of God. You can think of your growth in the knowledge of God's grace as something like the process of peeling an onion. I'm sure most of you have done that, right? Uh, there are multiple layers, so as you grow older, right, the definition of grace does not change, but your understanding of it, as you peel back these layers, as you taste these layers, right, you, you have a, begin to have a deeper appreciation for the grace of God. Let me, let me put it this way. I've been a pastor for many, many years now, and I've seen people, you know, be transformed. I've seen how people are during their teenage years and beyond. Uh, and if you look at a typical U student, right? I mean, honestly, does any of them, like, does their faith ever truly impress you? I mean, there might be some standouts, right? But the typical spiritual functioning of a U student is rather simple and basic, and that's okay, you know? Their typical stories like, oh, you know, I, I didn't quite understand the gospel, but when I went to this youth retreat, the speaker was very helpful, and I was really moved and touched and I think I have a better understanding of the gospel. Great. Nothing earth-shattering, but everyone has to start somewhere, don't they? Or, you know, I, I heard a couple guys, they went to Colville with Pastor Andrew last year, right? And uh, they said something like, you know, Pastor Andrew was really helpful. Right? He's my idol now, right? <laughs> something like that. He, he shared some things, and, you know, I, I really, uh, I saw the faith, I saw my faith differently. Right? I was refreshed. Great. Nothing, again, revolutionary there, but it's a start. That's a typical experience of a college student, I mean, a youth student. Now, but you, when you go to college, guess what? You experience uh, more suffering and pain. You, you see more things. You, you have your freedom. And so guess what? Out of that freedom, you tend to experience greater failure as well, right? That, that's essentially what 
Pastor Paul Choi, our intern, was sharing through his testimony, right? He thought he was all that going into college, right? He was looking down at all these people, and then he went to college, and he made a few mistakes here and there. He, made, he experienced moral failure, and God humbled him. And through that humbling process, his idea of grace expanded. And so that was another layer that was unpeeled, okay? First layer as a youth kid, second layer as a college kid. And you get older, right? You experience, I'm not going to keep on going, but you get the idea, right? Young professionals, you have to struggle through the workplace and what it means to be a Christian there. Once you get married, you have your own struggles, okay? I thought I loved my spouse, but I'm having second thoughts now, right? That's sort of where you are, some of you. Uh, you have kids. You thought you loved your kids, but it's hard. And so sometimes you regret, you know, why is somebody kids? That's the reality of life. But through the suffering and the pain, the hardship, you increase your appreciation for the grace of God because you experience it at a deeper measure. So Jonah knew, of course, God's grace as well, but he didn't know it exhaustively is my point. There was much more of it to experience. And so God showed him more of who he was and what his grace was like through the experience of a storm and a fish. One way to put it is like this. Jonah 1.0 had a certain understanding of grace and humility that, that worked quite well in his old world, but it couldn't handle the new world that God was trying to show him. And so he ran, he runs away. So what does he need? He needs an upgrade, you see. He needs to be upgraded to Jonah point, uh, 2.0, to be a more gracious Jonah, to be a more humble Jonah. And then he can go to Nineveh and continue with God's work. So brothers and sisters, what is the storm or fish that God has sent you to make you into a more gracious and humble person? Could it be a marriage that was more difficult than you had expected? Or could it be your children and struggling how to parent your children wisely? Could it be your sick parents that you're trying to care for? Maybe it's a strained relationship that you once treasured and you, want, you don't want to let that go, but it's difficult for you. Maybe it's unfulfilled dreams you had. But could it be that God is pursuing you by first letting you experience your own personal Sheol so that you could yearn for him again? Doesn't that sound like something God would do based on what you know of him? You know, most people, they really, they live with such a basic understanding of God's grace. They're still stuck on Jonah 1.0, so to speak. They haven't drunk at the deeper wells of God's grace, and it shows. It shows in the way they function in life. They lack grace toward their enemies. That's why you have such a hard time, brothers and sisters, many of you. You have a hard time letting go of things. You hold grudges like forever. That's a problem. <laughs> if you're such a grudge holder, you have such a hard time forgiving others who have wronged you in the past. Let me share, uh, share a brief story 
uh, with you. When I was in college, probably, you know, maybe, you know, Paul Bang 1.0, let's say, right? Sticking with our script here. Like, let's say, uh, let's say it was Paul Bang 1.0, okay? A believer, a very eager one, uh, but here's how things played out normally, okay? Um, I, I was actually very hungry at the time. I was soaking in all, everything, and I was listening to John Piper, ordering cassette tapes from his ministry, Desiring God. I was, you know, trying to get Tuck Keller's sermons too, but he had to kind of pay more money for his. <laughs> but I was listening to, I was digesting, I was listening to R.C. Sproul through the radio. I was just like a sponge, right? But then we had like these clumsy seminarians commute. You know, uh, we, our ministry was college fellowship. We were leaning upon these uh, Gordon Conwell seminarians to come and preach for us on Sunday. And I was just honest about my struggles, I think, you know, like, I have a hard time following the message. I was, I was in confidence sharing to one of my closer friends. I was like, I have a hard time. You know, I don't understand what he's saying sometimes. And he's like all over the place. He's scatterbrained, right? I was a little bit critical. But I thought it was a safe sort of place to, to share my, my honest thoughts, you know? But then this friend, he goes to that same guy, that seminary who's preaching for us on Sunday, and he, and he basically tells him everything I told him. And then guess what? If, if it was left at that, we'd be fine. But then he, he calls me. The Sunday preacher calls me, this young college student. And I'm like taken aback. I'm like, what is going on? I had, oh, he told you. I hung up after the awkward phone conversation because he was being very defensive. I'm like, fine. You know, it's like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to argue with you. Just... This is really awkward, you know, uh -huh. and, and my response, Paul Bank, Bank 1.0 was like, livid. I was, that's the first time I was visibly shaking in anger. I was, I mean, have you ever had experience, like, shaking in anger? Feeling like you want to kill someone? But after... After living life a little longer, after enduring through many, many years of ministry, okay, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, I'm probably at like 8.0 or something, you know, by this point, experiencing many depths of Sheol. <laughs> you know how it is now? It's very different, very different. Whatever I share whether it's in public like this or in private, in confidence, guess what? If I, if, I, if I hear that, oh, my goodness, this person knows, but I didn't share this, so someone leaked it? So when I hear someone, you know, maybe leaking something that was shared, I, I, I never actually do this. I can't believe. It used to be, I can't believe. It's no longer my response. I'm sorry if you don't understand Korean, but my response is typically, you. <laughs> You know, basically means it's the opposite of, I can't believe. It's more like, you know, people are people. I'm not surprised. Right? That's, that's sort of the response. Right? It's like, oh, well, I'll just deal with it. Okay? It's not what I was hoping for, but I'm not surprised because people will be people. And really, it doesn't mean that we should all be so nonchalant about sin, but it does mean we, we should have a more realistic view of the human condition, you see. I mean, you think about the uh, pastor that I, I shared 
the pastor, uh, Yang Won Son, that I shared with you, uh, his story a few weeks ago. And how is it possible for him to adopt someone who just killed, murdered his two older sons? How is that possible? Well, it's, it's not because he had this nonchalant attitude towards sin. Of course he didn't. It's because he experienced a deeper measure of grace, and he was willing to extend that same grace to others. It's not typically humanly possible to do that. But it is if you taste grace again and again, and it changes you, you see, so, brothers and sisters, in order for you to change, you also need to see and taste God's grace afresh over and over and over again. That's what it means to grow in the gospel, you see. It means to peel back the layers of the onion and get to the core of it. See, the gospel does not change throughout your lifetime. Jesus, he never changes, but we are supposed to change, right? as we begin to see more of our sinfulness and our rebellion, and as we realize our greater need for God's grace, guess what? Our appreciation for that grace will increase and grow, and in the process, we will be so different 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road. Part two, the temple. Why do you think Jonah mentions the temple? I want to offer you two reasons, okay? But let me first read the portion that uh, we see him mentioning this temple, remembering the temple. Verse 4, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple temple. And so here's the first reason why he mentioned the temple, because the temple equals essentially the presence of God in his mind, right? I mean, drowning in the water and getting swallowed up by a fish is what? That's death. That's dying. It's, you're dead. You're done, right? But in contrast, the temple is a place where God dwells. It's the presence of God. That's what it represents. That's what it symbolizes. That's why I mentioned the temple. Let me show you a funny story. The closest I came to death was when I was maybe in second or third grade, okay? So what, like age eight or nine or something like that? I, was in, I, was, I remember like swimming in the community pool next to our comp, apartment complex playing one of my favorite games at the time, Sharks and Minnows, right? I was a minnow, okay? Minnow, underwater, doing my underwaters, right? Doing my underwaters, minnow, right? All of a sudden, this bigger girl, she wraps her legs around me. She starts riding me, but I'm just a minnow, okay? <laughs> She rides, I can't, I can't do anything. She's too heavy for me. And so I try to fight her, you know, to rise to the top, but I can't. And so after like a few seconds, I'm like, I guess this is it. You know, <laughs> I guess I want to thank my parents for eight years of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I thought I was dying. I, I, I thought I was dying, literally. I'm not, not even joking. 
Right when I was about to pass out, someone pulled me out, and I was coughing out water for several minutes. And I remember my older sister yelling at that other girl, what are you thinking? (laughs) But I was saved. I was like, I I barely survived that ordeal. But that's probably why I don't like to swim that much. (laughs) I mean, the the deep waters bring back bad memories. Like, why would I want to revisit that hellish grave when I can be on dry land in the presence of God? (laughs) That's, That's one reason why Jonah cries out to the Lord and mentions the temple. He all of a sudden now yearned to be in the presence of God. He had enough of this hellish grave. He realized it's actually not what he wanted. Second reason he mentioned the temple is because the temple is a place of sacrifice. The temple is a place where sin is not neglected. You remember what Jonah wanted? He wanted the sins of Nineveh to be taken seriously. He didn't want God to simply brush Nineveh's sins under the rug and ignore them. Where is sin not ignored? The temple. In the temple, you see God's justice displayed because blood is shed. But it's not the blood of the sinner. It's the blood of a substitute, like a lamb or a goat or a pigeon. And later, as you should all know, God reveals to us that God's justice and mercy are clearly displayed by taking his own son, Jesus. Sin is not ignored, right? It's dealt with justly because a sacrifice, and in Jesus' case, a perfect sacrifice is made on our behalf. That's another reason why Joan, I believe, cries out to God and remembers the temple. Not only was it a place where God was present, but it was a place where justice and mercy is equally displayed. And so as Jonah is cast into the deep and as the waters surround him, he begins to yearn once again. And that's a good sign. It's a sign that God is not done with Jonah yet. It's confirmation that God's grace is still at work in Jonah's life and that Jonah is Still a work in progress with room to grow in his understanding of God and his grace. And that's a great thing. It's good news to see that God does not give up on this flawed man. You know, when we speak of sanctification, we don't view it as a one-shot deal, okay? You should never think of your growth in Christ as a one-shot deal, okay? Just because you had some kind of experience at some event a few years ago, maybe it was for you a college retreat, okay? Maybe for some of you, it was, I don't know, at a conference, maybe cross Just because you had an experience doesn't mean your story is meant to be over. doesn't mean that you, you're to stop growing. Maybe that just means that God has pulled you out of that 1.0 phase of your life, and but see, you still have three, four, 5.0, 6.0 to look forward to. Sanctification is a progressive process. The children's song puts it as little by little every day, right? And I'm okay with that expression, but 
if we're to be more accurate, it's probably better to envision the Christian life as something more like a yo-yo, right? You know, I, I, was, uh, I heard someone liken it to you, you know, playing with a yo-yo and going up the stairs. It's more like you, you have your serious setbacks, okay? Like not just one step back, like two, three steps back, but God is gracious to you, and so he pulls you back up, and you're gradually growing in the long run. But some of you are down here in the valley. Okay? You're not to think that's okay. Sanctification is hard. It's a hard process filled with storms and fish. It's really interesting if you think about what Jonah is like after his near-death experience. Because Jonah, this may surprise you, but he isn't completely free from his hatred toward the Ninevites, right? He's still sort of a, I don't know, if he, if he was a full-blown racist prior, he's now like maybe a half-racist, if that makes sense, right? I mean, God does change Jonah through the storm and fish experience, but there's still much change that needs to take place, right? In the next chapter, for instance, he will go preach to the Ninevites, but he's still surprisingly hoping that God will not change them. There's still a reluctance in his heart. He goes, but God, can you, can you not produce any good fruit here? That's his mindset. And what's my, what's my point? Jonah 2.0 is still not the final product, okay? And you can't look at your life that way. And you can't jump also from 2.0 to 7.0. Right? You, you, gotta, you gotta trust the process that God has placed before you. It's gotta go step by step. You gotta experience the storms of life that he puts you through. It's gradual growth. Again, it's progressive sanctification. So please know that God wants you to move on from one season of life to another without you constantly complaining or lamenting over the fact that your life was so much better before. That's foolishness. How foolish it would have been for Jonah to want to go back to his old way of life. How foolish it was for the Israelites in the wilderness to cry out to God, say, we want to go back to Egypt. It's folly. Right? Please do not say, <laughs> if you're a college student, I hope you don't, I hope you're not one of those college students that say, I, I wish I could live with my parents again, you know, in that comfortable life. Or if you're a single professional and you're tired of your workplace, I wish I could go back to servants ministry, you know. How fun was that? How fun was that culture? How fun was that season of my life, you know? Or if you're married, I really hope you don't, I know you do. I know you do, but I wish I was single again, you know. I confess I've, I thought that, and Joyce has also confessed to me. That, yeah. we're, we're very open and honest about these things in our, sinf in our sinfulness. 
in our sinfulness. Did I hear an amen? <laughs> and, and please, if you have children, don't say this in front of them. Don't say this in front of them, but I, I know what you're thinking sometimes. I wish I didn't have, you know. Yeah. After, you, after you have those thoughts, repent, okay? Again, my, my point is that we need to honor the process that God has placed. There's a purpose to it. There's God's good intention to further grow us and mature us and give us a deeper appreciation for his love and grace. I hope you see that. One commentator writes, uh, wrote this very helpful uh, sentence. I'll, let me share this with you. Sometimes <clears throat> the very best thing that can happen to us is the very thing we most dread for the simple reason that it strips away our self-reliance, humbles our pride, and removes from us every other hope Say that of God. I'm tempted to share this one story that I just remembered. What should I do? Am I okay with time? So here's our youngest, <laughs> our youngest Joshua. He's the boss of the house. Uh, we, we do our best. You know, we, we do our best not to spoil him, but I mean, he's like, he's like announcing to his friends that he's going to have a party without telling us first. Right? He's like, we're going to the party, you're invited, you're invited, and then we, 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 uh, we hear after the fact right, that all these people are invited. And so we have to set something up at this bounce place in Sterling. What's it called? Sky Zone. So, they were, so I, I said, Joyce, I'm sorry, but we got to go to Sky Zone. We have to set up a Sky Zone party for Joshua. And, uh, you know, she's crazy busy already, and so she's, like, frantically setting this up <clears throat> with maybe two weeks out. And uh, it was yesterday. And I conveniently said I have to prep for the sermon, so I can't be there. But, <laughs> but uh, thank you for thank you for taking care of the kids, and and uh, thankfully Sella was here, you know, for spring break. And so uh, uh, Sella and all, all, all my girls actually uh, wanted to go hang out there as well, just to spend time with Joshua and his friends. And so they were there, and it's crazy. It was crazy packed out here. I, I wasn't again. I had to hear these things. I hear it's crazy, right? Orange socks everywhere. It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> you know, like, if, if you lament your station in life as a parent, right, you, you won't bother. You just kind of forget it. Joshua, no, we're not having parties. You do bare minimum, right? You do nothing to love your kids, <laughs> essentially. But what's funny is, and, and maybe this should be edited out, but uh, uh, I think Sella, my oldest one, was looking at, Joyce is like kind of stressed, trying to get things together, and, and Sella like leans over and says, you did this to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not only that, not only that, after I think uh, a little later she goes, what was it? Um, <clears throat> you're giving me free birth control. <laughs> Basically, a lesson. Okay, maybe that was, hey, can we edit that out? <laughs> All right, part three, let's move on, move on. You, you, you wanted the story, so there you go. Part three, the sovereignty of God. This would be a bit shorter, and then I'll wrap up soon, okay? I want you to notice how God is sovereign over the details of Jonah's trials. He's sovereign. Okay, focus, focus. Okay. Look what it says. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
right? So who, who brought the storm? Who was behind it? Was it some kind of like coincidence? No, it was the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And then it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. It was no coincidence. And then look at Jonah's confession. You, Lord, cast me into the deep with your waves and your billows, and you brought up my life from the pit. And it's the Lord that spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out. That's, you, you can't overlook that. Brothers and sisters, I really hope that you've been able to realize throughout your lives that it does make a huge difference to know that God is completely sovereign over your life, even over the things that negatively affect you. Which is better between these two options? Okay, let me give you two options. Number one, option one, to know that all of these bad things are happening around you, but to know that God is actually not in control over any of these things because he would never, he would never ordain such harm upon you or others, would he? He would never do such things, and therefore, he really has no control over these things. He wants the best for you, but he has no control. Is that the God you envision? Or option two, to know that God, in his sovereignty, purposed all things, good things and bad things, to accomplish his glorious purposes. Which do you choose? I, I believe the latter. Not because it sounds better, but because it's consistent with the testimony of Scripture, you see. Here are some passages that speak of God's sovereignty. Isaiah chapter 45. I, God, form light and create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Lamentations chapter 3. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Proverbs 16, the Lord has made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And lastly, a verse that offers great comfort. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. One of my favorite verses. So brothers and sisters, it makes a huge difference to know that God is sovereign because it means that though there's so much chaos and brokenness around us, he is still in control. Do you believe that? I don't get an amen. Do you believe that? If you don't, it'll be that much harder for you to faithfully endure through life's storms because you'll eventually grow in despair and you may even curse God and abandon your faith altogether because your view of God will be so small a God who can't even save you because he has no control over things. He has no power to save you, even in your times of most de desperate need. This week is the week of our spring revival event, as you should all know by now. 
And I, I know that your lives are very, very busy. But I, I want to ask that you would shift your priorities for this week for the sake of joining your church, that we would seek the Lord's grace together as a body. I, I know I personally need a, a revival in my own life, and I also know that many of you desperately need a greater measure of God's grace in your lives as well. Okay? We all need it. Um, husbands, you need God's grace to endure through marriage. Same thing, same thing for wives. I know how hard it can be for you, especially with young children. Try to do your best. Right? Even if it's just sacrificing one spouse, at least allow the other spouse to join, okay? But we do offer childcare for Friday and Saturday, so please take advantage of that. Just because you can't go, don't withhold blessing from your own right? Try to be generous with your time and encourage others to join in. We want this to be uh, something that blesses as many people as possible, okay? Uh, Pastor Andrew from Philly, you know, not, not that we are called to lean so much on the pastor's gifts, okay? But this Pastor Andrew is a, a very gifted young preacher, He's many more years younger than me, but I would say he's just, you know, God has just blessed him with uh, more giftedness in certain areas. And he, his nickname in Philly is like the Prince of Pe Preachers, okay? The Prince of Pe Preachers. He, he took Charles Spurgeon's nickname, <laughs> if you didn't know. Charles Spurgeon was like called the Prince of Pe Preachers back in his day. Well, he, he's known to be that kind of guy, a very gifted tongue. And, you know, again, not to say that we lean upon pastor's gifts, but sometimes, brothers and sisters, God uses gifted preachers, right, to really speak in a fresh way to his people. And so I'm hoping that all of you would come and be able to join us, right? So let's be prayerful over the next few days. And again, let's come together as a corporate body, expecting God to be generous in pouring out his blessing upon us. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we're reminded of your relentless love and pursuit of us even in the midst of our rebellion and disobedience. May we, like Jonah, come to a deeper understanding of your grace and mercy in our lives as we encounter our own storms and fish along the way. Help us to see that even in our darkest moments, you are with us, working to bring about spiritual revival in our lives. And as we prepare for upcoming revival, we ask for a generous outpouring of your grace upon us. Please Hear our cries for your mercy and be gracious to us, O Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.